Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to episode 243 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I am Jason A. Meiske, thriller author and host of the show. This and every episode of the show, I might add, because uh, this is my creation. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. Hey, uh, we got a great show for you uh, this week. I, I had just the absolute best time talking with my guest. He is a paranormal investigator. He is an award-winning author and screenwriter. Had a rock band reach out to him to write music for one of his books. He is the writer of Tales and Wonder. I'm talking about none other than Brian Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Hey, Brian and I had a fantastic time. Well, I mean, he said he had a good time. I know I had a good time, but I appreciate that he said so. I hope he had a good, as much fun as I did. And uh, I've just been going on and on about the uh, interview and the talk with him ever since and uh, just having a good time. And you know what? And I got to say, talking to him really got my own like writing juices flowing like afterwards I uh, finished editing the episode, the interview, and then I sat down and wrote for over an hour. And, uh, you know, well, wrote, edited on uh, Bandit 2. And uh, it, it was it was just a blast. I had a really good time. He and I are both 80s kids, so we had a lot of, uh, a lot of things to talk about off, uh, what, off microphone, I guess would be the way to put it. Uh, but in the episode, you're going to be hearing all about his background and how Night of the Living Dead got him started down a path towards storytelling. We get to talk a little bit about his adventures in paranormal investigations with his wife. And then we're going to be talking about some of his books, as well as the rock band Chemical Straight Jacket, who wrote and released a song for him and uh, his book, Metcraft. Now, Metcraft, uh, book two, is what you're going to be hearing from next week in the episode uh, for episode 244 so make sure you check that out it's gonna be so cool and it has a score that was uh that's playing in the background for it so that's really cool but during this episode you're going to hear how the 80s and 90s movies inspired him turning screenplays into novels what is the matrix meets harry potter <laughs> we also discuss getting to write your dream project the importance of networking turning failure into projects and he has some really great advice uh, at the end for all you creative people. So make sure you stay tuned throughout the whole thing. It's a fantastic conversation. And I tell you, people, you're going to you're gonna love this interview. And it's it's really great. I I can't recommend him highly enough. So And I'm, I'm about to dive into his books. I just finished up another uh, uh, today. So I'm going to be starting. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be starting up uh, maybe Metcraft here uh, pretty quick. Um, as for my writing update, I'm going to hold off on that until next week. I already spoke on it just a little bit. That's all I'm going to do for now. Um, I want to focus more on Brian, but I do invite you to go ahead and check out the affiliate of the show, Writer's Block Coffee. They have three amazing flavors of coffee, and uh, you, know, you can try one, try them all, or set them up on automatic shipping each month so you don't miss out. Hey, no matter what you do, make sure you use the... Uh, order code sample chapter at checkout to save 10% on your order. 
and uh, click that link in the show notes to get right on over to it. I also invite you to check out our podcast friends over at Pop Goes the Culture Network. Link is in the show notes for that as well. That's a network home to about half a dozen or so other shows. All of them fun, all of them wild, and uh, they are all pop culture related. So, so if pop culture is your game, they have a show for you. All right, everyone. Well, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's get us on over to the interview with Brian Fitzpatrick. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, I am so excited to bring to you a new-to-the-show author, uh, somebody that I've been having a really good time chatting in the uh, back room here, but uh, I can't wait to introduce him to you. My guest is Brian Fitzpatrick. Brian Fitzpatrick is a best-selling author, producer, screenwriter, builder of words, and lover of coffee. He began his writer life at the age of seven after accidentally watching the horror classic Night of the Living Dead. When not writing, Fitzpatrick enjoys giving back with author marketing videos as well as networking at events. And Brian is an experienced public speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Brian Fitzpatrick. Hey, hey, thanks, Jason, for having me on. Really excited about this. Hey, Brian, I'm excited too. So much to unpack just in that little bit of a description. I'm thrilled, but uh, let's start first. You're out in California. How you doing with the uh, the hurricane? We did all right. You know, we we dodged a bullet. We got a lot of rain, so our reservoirs are filled back up. End of the drought. Um, unfortunately, uh, the storm cut two hours about two hours east of us, so we only got heavy rains. We did not get the worst of it. Good. So we will rebuild. All right, fantastic. Glad to hear it, man. Glad to hear it. I guess I guess that must have come across land now here in Missouri. We've got a little bit of rain. It's not too bad where I am, but like my parents in northern Missouri, they're getting hammered right now. Uh, we send it to you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's go back to uh, the beginning, Night of the Living Dead. What happened that night? Oh, okay. So I was seven years old. Uh, Mom and I were watching classic horror movies, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein. They're not that scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for seven years old, I was like, they were good. She dozed off. It gets it gets late at night, and all of a sudden, Night of the Living Dead comes on, and and I couldn't look away. I was riveted, and I was terrified, and so uh, I couldn't sleep for about a week afterwards. I just was scared beyond belief, and eventually, I started kind of in my head twisting it that I could be learning that I could be so scared, but also be perfectly safe, and that got me real interested in that idea, and. One day, my mom suggested I write some scary stories of my own to see what it was like. And I did, and I have not looked back. I've been creating tales of wonder and terror ever since. Oh, my gosh. That's very cool. Yeah, I see. And we're pretty close to the same age. I remember, of course, you know, the classic Saturday morning cartoons. But oh, yeah. what, uh, what a lot of people don't talk about is how after the cartoons were over, you had a little bit of some kind of like daytime show. And then... They'd have like mid-afternoon horror movies, and it was the classics like that. You'd have, you know, the Wolfman or other monster movies or Godzilla or something like that. I remember yeah. watching The Fly in the middle of the so afternoon. So much fun. Yeah, and so that was that was a blast. I had a good time with that. Even some of the, some of the uh, Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy kind of stuff. And uh, oh, those are great. But I remember for me, it was Return of the Living Dead from 1985. 
Yes. I hadn't seen, I'd never seen, like for me, zombies were like James Bond's, uh, what was that? The Roger Moore one. Uh, it was voodoo. That was, that yeah. was zombies for me. And uh, yeah, one night uh, we, we rented some movies from Blockbuster and uh, my brother had a friend come over who had also rented movies. And so I had an introduction to heavy metal that night and return of the living dead and while i really enjoyed heavy metal uh return of the living dead totally freaked me out for life just scarred me because i'm a very positive guy and to to find out that you can't defeat them that no matter what you do they're going to keep coming back and that that just horrified me (laughs) and then in that one you know they call out to the government for help and the government solution is to nuke the site yeah you're like well well that's you know no help at all there's no that's a downer yeah but i did i loved that one for the comedy aspects of it right the zombies had brains and it was just so hilarious (laughs) It, it was gory super gory and scary but the fact that they had the comedy element in there really made me like that movie a lot yeah yeah, I agree. My my wife pulled one over on me about uh, 15 years ago. She found a DVD copy of it. And she like sets up a nice at-home date night. We're going to relax and watch movies. She's like, oh, I got this new movie. We'll check it out. I was like, what is it? <laughs> oh, it's a surprise. Yeah, that's what it was. And Surprise. <laughs> yeah, here I am. I mean, at that time, like 35, you know, closer to 40. And I'm still sitting down with my knees pulled up going, oh. <clears throat> I'm it trying. still freaked you out it still freaked me out a little bit i was like <laughs> okay it's not as bad as it was like but uh this is better but uh then again some weeks before then i had watched um oh my gosh what was it uh the zombie movie that takes place in an apartment uh it's a remake of wreck uh, oh, i forget what it was called oh yeah 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 oh shoot yeah, the, the building gets completely locked down and everybody inside like, it's was, like the american version was like quarantine i think it was called yeah quarantine that's it same idea yeah yeah that was it that was yeah. pretty cool because it was an attempt to use the found footage style uh mm-hmm. which i hate i hate the jiggly cam of that but i loved the first person intensity of it like she's turning the camera also and there's a zombie in her face yeah oh my gosh yeah, that, it's intense yeah yeah so yeah after seeing that return of the living dead wasn't so bad i just i think it was just my childhood trauma coming back i was trying to face it down so my wife had a good laugh (laughs) but you conquered your demons yes yes i haven't watched it since but uh yeah i've conquered (laughs) so yeah so for me yeah night of the living dead holds a kind of a special place in my heart because of it, it i do give it credit for being the catalyst to start me on this career path way back at seven years old it was nuts yeah and and i mean you and you like use that with your writing with your with your books uh the screenwriting and i mean you even do some paranormal investigations i understand yeah that's an interesting thing too we need to get into but uh i was going to add that i I was fortunate enough to grow up in my preteen and teen years during the the sort of heyday of the 80s Mm. movies of spielberg george lucas and uh you know even even the horror movies of david cronenberg and the books of Clive Barker and Stephen King, all that stuff sort of mid eighties to nineties just was sort of big on the scene. And that really influenced how I write things. And I love big action stuff. I love big uh, suspense and, and big, big scares. (laughs) I I just love those things. Um, Fantastic. 
Yeah. Oh, so the the paranormal investigation. I don't know why, but my my wife and I both have always been fascinated by what happens after we die. I mean, there's religious aspects of it. There's the non-religious aspects of the, that there's nothing, but then there's something. And we got into it because we were curious. And we, at the time, I, we didn't know you could actually do that as a hobby or anything. But then way back in the early 2000s, uh, the show Ghost Hunters came on. That was the very first mm. guys to do it. Those were the two guys who worked for Roto-Rooter. Then on the side, they would do these ghost hunts with their little team. Mm-hmm. And it was a realistic approach. They weren't theatrical, no no big scares. They were just like, sometimes they found stuff and sometimes they didn't. And it was really nice to have a realistic look at it. And so that got us on the path. And so for 17 years, my wife and I have been going out on different uh, paranormal investigations with various teams. And we have a really good team right now. And we just, we love doing the major places and we all love doing people's homes that need help. Oh my gosh. That's cool. Now, does, and, how, how much does that play into your writing? Ironically, zero right now. <laughs> I have not written a single ghost-related story ever in my life. And, and you'd think I would I would be constantly writing about ghosts, but I think it has become so commonplace mm-hmm. now that I don't feel it's scary. Like, it's never scary. It's mostly, you know, four to five people sitting in a dark room talking to the air. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and sometimes sometimes you'll get a knock or sometimes you'll get a voice and sometimes you'll get an apparition but it's just never scary so it's hard for me to put my mind into a sense of writing it as a terrifying tale because the realistic of it is just not okay all right do you have a, a moment where something was pretty creepy oh you know we've had uh, several really cool incidences uh, we go in with a, with a skeptical mind anytime something happens that could be paranormal we do our best to debunk it we go you know we check temperatures and we we sort of stomp around to see if something you know movement causes the the technology to go off or maybe a breeze we always try and debunk it so when we can't and it remains unexplained then we get excited um and there's a there's a ship an old ship from the 1800s docked in the san diego harbor called the star of india and a couple of the ghost shows have done investigations there but what a lot of people don't know is that they actually uh sometimes will rent out an overnight for people to come on and do paranormal investigations and it's amazing you pay your money you get on there and the security locks you on board because they don't want you know passers-by just to wander on so you are on the ship alone you and your team no guide no security no nothing you just get run of the ship and to do an investigation for the whole night and we've gotten that one's so reliable. We always get something. Oftentimes, you know, uh, boot steps walking like right in front of you, but you there's nobody in front of you. Uh, temperature changes when you ask it. You ask if there's a spirit here. Can you lower the temperature? And then you, it lowers it on command. It raises it on command. Uh, we'll hear strange knocks, like something fell over, and we just a lot of really interesting stuff. Never anything negative though. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, I guess that's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very cool. Yeah. I've had a few things that are just, I can't explain other than that, you know, maybe there was something supernatural, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I've never felt dread or, you know, that uh, this isn't right kind of a thing. Right. It's, it's been actually a little peaceful. That's good. I mean, and if that's the case, if it was paranormal, it possibly could have been a, a relative checking in. 
I know our experience has been um I've never encountered anything in like some of these shows get all theatrical and like oh it's a demon or oh it's evil I've never felt that it's I, I keep in mind it's just people and they're either maybe they're scared or maybe they're happy maybe they're frustrated but they're just people that's mm-hmm. been my experience in the 17 years all right well that's i mean that's good that's good to hear yeah. at least. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if it was terrifying i probably wouldn't do it anymore <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> oh my goodness so all right so we were we were discussing before about uh, your inspiration with uh, the night living dead and then all the the amazing directors and producers of the 80s and uh, i'm right there with you that has uh, growing up in the 80s that has in just informed my writing uh to just no end at this point what is uh what do you think is uh your most direct connection something that you've written that really like goes back to this is totally my my 80s connection my my vibe with what i grew up with oh i'd say it would have to be my current um science fiction trilogy um it's called metcraft and that's uh m-e-c-h-c-r-a-f-t um like witchcraft but with mech in the in the front part and this because the central characters are teenagers themselves it harkens back to those you know, Goonies and those other movies where the teenagers were the central focus. Mm. Um, but what I loved about the 80s movies is that they didn't talk down to the kids. They didn't talk down to the teenagers. They were the heroes and they had to think their way out of it with no help from the adults. And this book, uh, this story, Metcraft, really hones in on that. Um, it's a story about uh, sentient nanotechnology embedded in the DNA of some people. Um, our main character jake he is teenager who this uh metcraft this nanotechnology activates in his body and he never knew he had it and he's the first ever person uh born with this nanotechnology in his system because both his parents have it and the way the original people got it was through science experiments uh thanks to the government and the stage is set where uh when the scientists who originally discovered the nanotechnology they all injected themselves and they all had these powers like they can actually connect with mentally with the nanotechnology and bring it out of their skin as liquid metal. So think of like Terminator two, the way yeah. the liquid liquid metal Terminator would come out. Uh-huh. Think of that coming out of a person's uh, skin and forming any sort of tech uh, tool, weapon device, anything that the person has the mental ability to create. And so the scientists could not agree on the best use of it, and it descended into an actual warfare between the scientists. And so now, fast forward to our time, we've got three factions vying for control of, of what to do with this technology. And then enter uh, Jake, Jake, the main character, who was born with it. Now, all the other, all the other Metcrafters, they know the rules. They all have limitations. They all know what each other's, you know, pluses and minuses are because there's it's been established um and there's sort of this sort of tenuous stalemate um happening in los angeles and along comes jake and he's because he's the first ever born with the nanotechnology he is a wild card all the different factions believe he will be able to do things with his power that nobody else has been able to do and therefore they think he can turn the tide of the war to their side and Mm. so this becomes a wraith to a safe house 
for Jake and two um, t- teenager uh, metcrafters who are assigned to escort him. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a race and time to get to the safe house and see if his parents are alive or dead. And also to evade the one faction called Hunters who think that uh, metcrafters are an abomination and should be killed. because And they should all be destroyed, including themselves, once it's done. So this suicide cult uh, is led by a fanatical cult leader named Sasha and she is the villain of all villains I love her to death she thinks she's the hero of the story and she wants to possess Jake and make him do her bidding to end the war and kill all metcrafters so that's my 80 that's my opus to the 80s oh my gosh that's awesome though yeah it's filled with it's a ton of action because I wrote it as a screenplay initially so it's got you know, it was 120 pages of pure matrix level adrenaline uh, action. And I decided to convert it to a novel and try and build a, a nice, healthy fan base with it there mm-hmm. to try and get the movies and or TV shows made. Okay. Um, so that's been the goal. So when people read it, it's the, it's a very fast, uh, exciting, pulse pounding read. Oh, man. Uh, one, one of my early reviews actually coined the term and I've, I've been, I latched onto it because I thought it was so great that they said this. Uh, they said it's the Matrix meets Harry Potter. <laughs> and I was awesome. like, "Yes, I'll take that. Thank you." <laughs> yeah, what a great nod! <laughs> so I was very happy with that. Oh wow, yeah, it, it's got it, it, it. Definitely, they're just hearing you describe it, it. It's got a very '80s vibe to it, a, that feel to the the story, and it's like I can I can picture that in my mind with like some of that '80s technology trying to. Uh, you know, I, like if they, if they were doing that today, or excuse me, doing that in the '80s, trying to film something like that, I could see some of the effects and uh, like yeah, the, the real effects with it and everything. That that's pretty cool. I wonder how they would do the uh, LMG, the liquid metal guy, prior to uh, to that. So that's kind of cool, though. Yeah, no, it was. It's kind of cool because the the villain has resonated more than anything else in any of like more than the heroes. Uh, people really seem to like her. In fact, I had in 2021, I had a rock band uh, from New Jersey reach out to me and say, hey, we loved your book so much. We want to write a song. Do we have your permission? And I'm like, well, how many writers get songs about their book? <laughs> unless, unless you're Lord of the Rings. But right. uh, I, of course, said yes. And uh, so we worked along the way and they wrote this song. Um, it turned out to be just about the villain, Sasha. And the song is called Tendril and Blade. And it ended up being released on uh, one of their albums about a year ago. I was completely blown away. Um, they actually had the their producer for the album was is the keyboard player for Ministry. Okay. So they had some pretty heavy hitters on this. And uh, it was kind of cool to watch the process. And, and they included me on everything. So I kind of got to hear how it was, you know, the, the, the lyrics they came up with and the music they were forming. And it's, it's very cool. <laughs> so that was an honor. That was a great honor. I was very humbled and, and felt very privileged to have that done. Yeah. Yeah. And you have that on your, on your website, right? Yeah. People can uh, scroll down the site and click on it to hear the song. That's that is super cool, man. And that was, uh, what, what is that rock band's name? Oh, the band is called Chemical Straight Jacket. And they, they they remove all the vowels, so it's like C H M C L, and then straight okay. jacket has has the number eight in it. It's it's. I'm like, why did you guys do that? 
And they said, yeah. I, think they, I think they told me there was some other band that had a similar name and they wanted to stand out. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that <laughs> but first it worked. Part, yeah, that first part, I, I couldn't make sense of that, but now it does make sense. The chemical. Yeah. I figured out the straight jacket. It was like, okay, there we go. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. They're they're great guys though. They're they their music's really cool. It's kind of industrial rock. It's very loud and crunchy and got some cool clever. He's got he's a good lyricist. He has clever lyrics. I like it. Very, very cool, man. And so now like you said, you wrote this originally as a screenplay, turned it into a novel, but you also still do screenplays and you got some some really cool things coming up. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah. You know, my first love was screenwriting i mean i did start off as short stories as a kid and wrote a novel that i that i hated and converted it to a screenplay and loved it so i've been sort of screenplays ever since and i've thanks to social media i've been getting uh writing gigs the last two three years um in the screenwriting world it's it's and anybody who's tried it knows it's super hard area to break into breaking into hollywood is is next to impossible and there's no clear-cut pathway to do it Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough to make a couple of connections in a couple of Facebook groups and on LinkedIn. And I got hired uh, the first time from actress uh, and producer Gina Nemo. She was one of the stars of the original 21 Jump Street okay. back in the day. Yeah. And she's super, a super go-getter. When she sets her mind on something, she gets it done. So she hired me to write a science fiction TV pilot based on an idea she had. And so we co-wrote that together and we loved working together so much. And she's currently shopping that around. uh, Well, once the strike is over to try and get this show uh, called Finch and Skull made into a TV show. It's kind of a um, combination of Mad Max meets Game of Thrones. If you can put your head around that, (laughs) it's going to be out there. But uh, a year later, she hired me again to write a science fiction feature that was that she already had the dates to film it. She already had the director. She already had the cast and she had the location, but she didn't have a script. She and the director threw out the script they were going to use and decided to make a science fiction movie instead. So she approached me. It was like last February and she's like, Hey Brian, um, can you write a science fiction feature for me and have it ready to be shot in May? And I'm like, wait a second. I mean, because usually a screenplay will go through about 20 rewrites before it gets to the set, before it's ready to film. They go through a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I'll try. So she gave me her notes on what they kind of, the ideas that she had. And I got to work. And it was great because uh, I only got, unfortunately, she needed it early because she wanted her cast to start memorizing the lines. And so uh, I, I had to get it done even sooner than than May. So I got it done. I managed to get three rewrites in, and then she needed it. So I'm like, oh, okay, and I handed it over to her nervously. Here you go. <laughs> um, and she ended up liking it, and she showed it to the director, and and they said, okay, you know, we definitely want to keep working on this, but we're under a very tight timeline. So they hired me to come to the set um, as script supervisor so I could help do rewrites on the fly and make sure continuity is there on set. And it was a unique opportunity because I've never been on set before. And uh, but I knew what the job entailed. So I said, yes, absolutely. So we did that and uh, it ended up being really cool. It's a, it's a sort of a Blade Runner meets Twilight Zone kind of near future apocalyptic thing. But it's set in a single location because this is an independent movie, low budget. Mm. 
Yeah, that was the funny thing too. She told me, okay, Brian, this story's got to be this, uh, but there's no money for choreographed fight scenes and there's no money for special effects. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, you want me to write a science fiction story with no special effects and no fight scenes? She says, yes. So I was like, oh my God. So that's when I said, who else has done that? How has that been done before? And that, so my thought was exactly Twilight Zone. They they almost had they almost oh, never yeah. had special effects or big fight scenes, but they were still riveting and sometimes scary and always trippy. So I kind of harnessed my inner Twilight Zone and created something I think is pretty cool. They all loved it and and we filmed it last May, and so now it's in post production and we're hoping for a release of this movie. This year in 2023, it's called The Simeon Trials. That's and awesome, man. It was a blast. Filming it was insanely cool. Uh, we had this actor, he's usually in, in action movies, but we wanted him for one day to play a, a short a short role. And uh, they brought him up. We filmed this in Ojai. We got him to drive up from LA and he was going to work for like half a day. And he had just got back from filming like three weeks in Thailand. So this guy, picture this huge six foot five dude with a beard big old barrel chested huge guy with a booming voice he comes walking in the first thing he says he, in his loud voice i've been in thailand for three weeks who's got weed <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough like four crew members raised their hand <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh he was great the whole the whole filming of it was great oh my gosh and you think high- uh that you think that'll be uh, is it gonna be like streaming somewhere or coming out on dvd you know uh gina is debating between uh doing the festival circuit where you you know you hope to collect wins and then get a big distribution deal in theaters um or going right to streaming she has connections I mean, she's been around a long time she can get done whatever she wants done so I, okay. it's just going to depends on what she thinks is the best path her other indie films have all gathered a lot of awards. So she I think she's gonna go that way because that's you know, if we if she gets a distribution deal out of that, that's free. Yeah. It costs her nothing and, and earns her more money. So this one I think is is it, it's definitely the biggest uh movie as far as scope and and potential that she's that she has. So I think we're gonna go distribution on that. So hopefully it'll be in theaters. I, I hope. That'd be awesome, man. That would be really, really yeah. cool. I, I hope it does. And I can't sure. wait to see it. Thanks. And, and, you know, even streaming, I'll be happy with. I'll just be happy to have something made that I wrote. And, <laughs> uh, you know, see my, I'm, I got the IMDb credits already, but seeing your name, something about for a writer, seeing your name on the screen, there's going to be something powerful about that. There you go. Perfect. Well, uh, I mean, oh my gosh, there's just so much to dive into, so much to to follow up on. What what do you got? Uh, what do you got coming up next? Like, uh, what do you do you have more of the uh, Metcraft series, or uh, or what's next for you? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've got. Okay, here's some funny stuff. So, my publisher, when they finished the third book and they released it, they said, "So, Brian, do you have more Metcraft coming?" And I was like, "No, I'm you know the trilogy, and I'm I'm done. I'm, I want to move on." And so when I hung up from that call. My mind immediately went to, well, you could do this, you could do this, and all of a sudden I outlined, <laughs> I outlined three more books out of that. So now I told him, called him back, said, "Yeah, I'm going to do some more. <laughs> I can't get away, I can't get away from these characters. I love them so much." Um, that's in the works. Also, um, I just finished another writing gig where I adapted a popular 
why a fantasy novel into a TV script, TV pilot script. Um, I'm still under an NDA on that. I can't say what book it is, uh, but it's a it's a, a new and very popular book. And I was lucky to land this gig where I got to write the TV pilot adaptation. Um, just finished that. And my current work in progress is, I, this is like a dream come true because I grew up playing, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I have now been commissioned to write a novel set in a Dungeons and Dragons uh, massive campaign that just crowdfunded. Oh, so nice. it's an epic fantasy. I'm, I'm going old school, like just, you know, big adventure set in this campaign world that these guys, that this company called Storytellers Forge, working with D&D, they created it. It's called The Black Ballad. And it's basically the adventure takes place after the characters die. So, and so <laughs> the, when, when, the, when the party gets killed, they end up at this in the in this place called the Sunless Crossing, which is the afterlife, and it's a whole world there with politics and monsters and and all kinds of cool. They created an amazing um, three hundred page plus campaign for people to play, and to coincide with it, they're asking various authors to write books um, set in that world, not in the story that they created, but their own stories set in that world. So I'm a couple thousand pages or a couple thousand words into my story for black ballad that's awesome man. <laughs> the the game just crowd the, the crowdfunding they wanted twenty six thousand dollars to get this game this campaign launched they ended up with one hundred fifty four thousand dollars so it's massively popular there you go and uh they're going to tie it all in the, the game is going to launch i think they said january and then at that time they're going to begin crowdfunding to get uh several novels in that world launched. So my deadline is uh, like December to get, turn this in. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, I talked to a lot of authors and, and, and I can, I can relate to all of them in that it feels like a lot of time we're just going where the muse leads us. But I think we all have that special project that we'd love to write one day. And it's refreshing to hear that. It sounds like you're getting to follow that dream, write something that it's like, Oh, yes the dungeons and dragons that you get to do that it sounds like yeah. you live the dream man it you know and it, and it all happens because i'm gonna just flat out tell you it happens because of of networking of building relationships with people um that i never would have met if i hadn't really been on social media and pursued uh you know in-person events and just talking to people and a lot of people kind of get afraid of the word networking, like it's it seems so superficial. But I look at it as I'm building genuine relationships. I'm making new friends, and it's really been successful. It's been a great way to get a career going. So the Dungeons I, and Dragons thing just sort of fell into my lap. I would agree with that. I uh, I didn't get to attend Kansas City Comic Con last year, but the year before that, I got to go, and it was one of those things I hadn't really prepared myself for what might happen. I'd been for a couple of years, talked to a lot of the authors there. So when I went that time, uh, or yeah, and then I missed a year. So then the year that I went and I took my family with me, I was not expecting so many of the authors to be calling out to me. And I had my, and my family where they all wore sample chapter, uh, t-shirts, uh, for me oh, to yeah. promote it. And so, and, yeah. And they said they kept getting pulled aside. Like, Hey, are you with Jason? And, you know, they were like trying to reach out to me. And it's like, I was really surprised, like how many people were aware of the show and just the same thing, networking and knowing and 
yeah, I talked to that author last year. They were on the show. They were in episode you know, 101 or whatever, mm-hmm. and different things like that. And it's amazing it how that grows. Yeah, and it's so cool because then, of course, those authors will talk about the great time they had or link to the interview, and then you'll get more people saying, hey, I want to be on the show too. And it's, it just escalates from there. You never know um, who's going to reach out to you. It's, exactly. it's incredible. Someone, I had someone on Twitter quoted about six months ago um, about mi- what success in the arts, uh, well, particularly writing in this case, but in the arts, um, he says it comes down to three things, hard work, luck, and the actions of others. I'm like, whoa, because wow. it is always, it's the actions of others. Here we are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's people helping each other is what I translate that to. And it's, it's so true. It is. It is. Yeah. And I mean, that was the whole idea behind whenever I, I had the idea to do this show. It's like, well, I want to do what I can to help out other uh, other authors and a rising tide lifts all boats. And so, you know, let's uh, there you go. Let's try and do do this thing together and, and just have a good time along the way. And that is one of my favorite all time quotes as well. A rising tide lifts all boats. It's because mm-hmm. it's true. Yeah, it's true. We, we all need each other. And whenever we can help each other it's fantastic that's i used to give i haven't been able to do it in a couple of years but i used to do a workshop on um for new writers wanting to wanting to publish for the first time and so i really said hey i screwed up a lot here's how what not to do <laughs> I, I would, and the thing started off being being two hours but it grew to three hours of just um you know round table i did some lecturing but then i encouraged a lot of involvement with the with the people in the crowd just you know and let's let's workshop this and Mm -hmm. people had i learned i learned quite a bit actually hearing people's ideas and writing them down and so together we came up with you know a methodology saying look you know this is things to avoid and things you can pursue and think outside the box and and it was i love doing that workshop i might actually start doing that again i really enjoyed it well and that's a great way to turn it around too to take here's all these failures and then turn that around into something positive by like, Hey, take my lessons of what not to do. (laughs) Exactly. See all this here. Don't do this. (laughs) There you go. That sounds like a best-selling book to me. Right. Oh, (laughs) speaking of um, the, uh, the D and D book that led to, here we go again with the help with the um, efforts of others. It led to another thing with that same uh, company, Storytellers Forge they read and loved the Metcraft series. And they said, Brian, if there was ever a story that needed to be a role-playing game, Metcraft is it. So they have invited me to create the Metcraft tabletop role-playing game. Oh, wow. And that'll, that'll be the next project I work on after I finish the book. Um, they've given me carte blanche. They said, we have in-house game designers. We have in-house artists, in-house editors. You can utilize them as much or as little as you want. Um, and the game will be completely mine. I will have total creative control and they're going to launch it with a crowdfunding campaign, just like they did black ballad. And so I am completely pumped because I've always wanted Metcraft to be uh, either a video game or a role-playing game. And so now that big, big dream is going to come true. (laughs) That's so, that is so awesome. Isn't that crazy? That's that's crazy. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't expecting that. What didn't really have, didn't know of any kind of path forward to get that accomplished. And here it showed up. Yep. Persistence, man. Just, yeah. just keeping, keeping the nose to the grindstone and keep plugging away. And, and uh, that hard work starts to pay off. 
you know, and that's, that's uh, sort of a mantra that I kind of keep to my, keep in my mind all the time when I'm, when I'm writing or trying to market is hope and perseverance. Mm -hmm. Those two things together, never give up, always keep going. And I tell people, you know, if they get discouraged or if they get some bad news or they don't win the contest or whatever it is that's going on that sort of kicks them when they're down, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to lick your wounds, but I tell them just don't give up on a permanent basis, you know, take a break and then come back to it and you'll be happy you did. There you go. And I'm going to, I'm going to stop things right there. Cause that is a great way to end the show. That is fantastic and great advice for everybody out there listening. Oh, excellent. Brian, Brian where can people find and follow you? I am all over social media. I'm literally on every platform I can think of. I love to engage. Um, I've got an on Facebook. I've got an author page there. Twitter. I'm all over Twitter as author Brian Fitzpatrick. I'm on Instagram as author Brian Fitzpatrick. Um, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn. You can always find me there. There's also on my website there is uh, an easy link tree. If you go to the link tree link that has all of my socials, you can always find me there. And I encourage people to reach out to me. Um, I'm always happy to talk about writing or talk about gaming or science fiction or horror, whatever. I love to engage and I love to help. And you've been incredible to talk to, man. I I feel like I could be sitting here for the next six or seven hours just talking with you. And and, and we haven't even dove into really like the 80s stuff or other things that we probably would talk if we weren't on the show. I know. We could go on forever. (laughs) We'd be totally geeking out. (laughs) Give me some coffee and we'll go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is, uh, that'll be it for this week, but make sure you tune in next week. You're going to hear one heck of a reading from Brian and uh, book two of his Metcraft collection. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's all I can say is it's, it's a heck of a reading. You're going to love it. So tune in next week for that, but until then take care. Thank you, Jason. Thank you.